The following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're coming to the part of our service now where we turn to God's Word, and we're looking at the part of the Bible called Luke chapter 1. I think it's about three quarters of the way through. I'm sure Trina, who's going to come and read, will... uh, Sorry, Luke chapter 10. Yes, surprise for Trina, who's reading. Um, Terrific. Trina will lead us in our reading. Um, So it's page 1041. It's Luke 10, 1 to 24. After this... The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to go to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever, lis- whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one, who knows, no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Thanks ever so much, Trina. Do keep that then open in front of you, and here is the handout. Uh, If you would like to jot anything down, um, then these will come around. And this handout hopefully is particularly helpful, because on one side of it is the outline of what we were looking at on Thursday evening at our vision dinner. Um, I'm not going to really refer to that, but it's just nice to know and uh, to have access to that if you, you weren't here with us. So do, do have a look at that. 
And as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 10 over the course of this weekend as we think about our vision, what the Lord is calling us to be doing. Uh, We spend a little bit of time on Thursday evening looking at the first three verses, and then we uh, spent this morning looking at verses 1 to 16 of what we've just read, and now we're going to spend some time looking at verses 17 uh, to 24 uh, together. So I hope you've managed to get hold of that if you want it and a pen uh, if you would like it. Let me lead us in prayer as as we come to, to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak to us through your word, the Bible. And Lord, please now, by your spirit, would you help us to be good soil that receives your word and retains it and perseveres in it such that we might bear much fruit for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said earlier, our our vision statement is every life following Jesus. And particularly this weekend, we're thinking about our outreach, our evangelism, our our mission. And Luke 10 helps us so much with this. Jesus here says in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we thought a little bit on Thursday evening how Jesus, interestingly, starts by not by saying, get out there, but he actually starts by saying, given that, given the harvest is plentiful, given the the workers are few, first thing to do is to pray, to ask, to pray. And then we're to trust because it's his harvest field. He's the Lord of the harvest. And then we're to go. And in this chapter, we hear about how Jesus sends out the 72 representing the church, Uh, sent out on mission. And verses 2 to 16 that we looked at this morning is really kind of the pre-match pep talk. And uh, we saw how the disciples, they're sent out with authority. Verse 3, go, I am sending you. They're sent to represent Jesus, ambassadors of Christ. They're to go with gentleness. Verse 3, they're to be like lambs even if others are going to be like wolves. They're sent out dependently. Uh, Verses 4 and 7, look at how they went without resources and they were dependent on God to provide through others staying in homes. There was an urgency to it all. Verse 4 again speaks of this. They won't even greet anyone on the road. No time to stop and chat. They were to, to get out there and do what Jesus had called them to do. And when they went, they were to proclaim the kingdom. They were to speak about Jesus and all that he is and all that he came to do. And they would find, sometimes they would be accepted, they'd be welcomed in, and the peace that we can know through knowing Christ would rest on those households, we're told. But also sometimes they'd be rejected. And there's a realism to this. Not all will welcome the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, Some will accept it, some will reject it. And Jesus is saying, look, if they reject you, they are actually rejecting me, which means actually they're rejecting God. And there's some sobering 
warnings about the consequences of rejecting the source of all life, the God of life and salvation that we thought about a little bit this morning as well. So that was this morning, the pre-match. And then, uh, sort of verse 16, it's as though they get sent out. And then verse 17, we pick it up when they're back, back as it were in the dressing room. We thought about it's a little bit like one of those sports documentaries, behind the scenes, and you see what's being said in the dressing room, but you don't actually watch the match itself, uh, the pre-match talk and then the post-match analysis. And we're now into the post-match analysis. And actually, both of these sections, uh, I think, are really helpful for us in our day and age, but especially when we lack confidence in the mission that God has given to the church. It's very easy for Christians to think in a society that is very secular. It's very easy to think, is all this stuff really true? Uh, In a society that's often quite hostile towards some Christian beliefs, we might be thinking, is this all good? And when we long to see people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, and that seems to be slow work, sometimes we can just think, well, does this even work? And that first section that we looked at this morning was a real reminder of the authority that we have. We go on behalf of our Creator and our Redeemer. And that we should go out with confidence, a humble confidence, a gentle, dependent confidence. But a right confidence nonetheless in the one who sent us. This section now, from verses 17 to 24, is brilliant for us if we're struggling with joy. Joy in the mission that God has given us. It might be you hear the word evangelism and you just think, burden, duty, help. I just don't enjoy it. Uh, I feel guilty about it. Uh, there are just too many ups, too many downs. It's too much of a roller coaster road. Uh, perhaps more downs. We think of disappointments, people who we hope were going to put their trust in Jesus and turns out they don't. And so these words of Jesus, which really talk about joy, I think are really important for us. And it's titled, Returning with Joy. So sent with authority this morning, now returning with joy. And really two simple titles for us to think about. Where can we best find joy? is the first one. And then where does Jesus find his joy is the second. First, let's think particularly about this. Where can we best find joy? Let me read from verse 17. Have a look at that. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit to them. You can imagine their excitement. They've gone out. Amazing things have happened. Uh, Presumably, Jesus has given them the power to exercise demons as he was doing. An expression of his defeat over evil. And it's all very exciting and a sign that God's kingdom is coming. And that it's coming through the ministry of Jesus, sending out his disciples. Now, I think in our day and age, this looks a little bit different uh, with the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection 
the ultimate place where evil was defeated. And that's not to say that God doesn't still give authority to his people to exercise demons. But there's a wider point here. And the wider point is that whenever the gospel is preached and people come to Christ, then the devil loses his power and he loses a battle. And that's a great cause for rejoicing. Uh, Jesus alludes to that in verse 18, I think. Have a look at verse 18. He says this, I replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Uh, Satan is ultimately, he's defeated on the cross. But also when we proclaim the kingdom of God and people respond with faith, the enemy is overcome and will not harm God's people. If we're in Christ, we cannot be harmed. And that is a cause of great joy. Uh, Many here will have experienced uh, the joy of knowing someone who's come to faith. Think back, maybe, if you were here to the wonderful Sunday we had uh, in January, Confirmation Sunday and Baptism Sunday at the start of the year. Uh, About 11 uh, people that day were um, professing faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, There we go, Lenny, there you are, uh, being baptised, getting very wet. There's Jack. Uh, It was a fantastic day, a wonderful, joyful day for many people. It's our favourite service of the year. Uh, And it is so wonderful, isn't it? There's nothing quite like a baptism to bring joy. Um, And the confirmations were really brilliant as well. Uh, It was wonderful. And uh, maybe you've had those experiences as well. People you love, you care for, friends becoming Christians, family becoming Christians. And it's fabulous. Uh, It's wonderful on lots of levels as well. It's not just that moment when people become Christians, but also just seeing people you care and love for grow in faith is so joyful. It's such a wonderful thing. And maybe if you're involved in running a a Sunday school class or a a Bible study group or something like that, and those you're teaching just get it, and you see people uh, grow in that moment. And it's so joyful. It is a really exciting thing. And maybe it's just having an encouraging chat with a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, Maybe they're facing a really tough time and you hear of their testimony of just trust in Jesus through this time. I was very struck just a few days ago um, hearing from someone who uh, has just been diagnosed with cancer and, and the way they were speaking was being very real about that reality, but also about their trust in Jesus in it. And with all the sadness, there is something joyful, something to be thankful for in there as well. But for all that, for all the joys there are in ministry and seeing God's work and people's Life. Jesus is actually giving something of a warning here to his disciples. Verse 20, he says this, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The thing is, ministry, outreach, evangelism, it is a roller coaster. As Jesus said earlier, some will accept, some will reject. There'll be times where we go well, times when uh, people we're ministering to go not so well. They're great highs, they're great lows. Uh, Life is full of highs and lows. And so whilst it's good, of course, to take joy in those things and seeing God's kingdom grow and his spirit at work in the lives of others, we need to root our joy, Jesus is saying, in something deeper, something untouchable, something that will never change. And that thing, Jesus says, is our salvation. It's in our salvation. He said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If we want to know a joy that will never be diminished, we need to know the joy of our own relationship with God. You might be familiar with the expression, if your name's not down, you're not coming in. Come across that? People come across that? Um, So the idea is if you're sort of going to a nightclub or something like that, and the bouncer says, if your name's not down, you're not coming in. Um, And I don't know if you uh, know that experience of apprehension of, is my name down for this list? We uh, went to a concert as a family a few months ago, and someone had kindly put some tickets with our names on them at the ticket office. And there's just that moment where you go to the ticket office and you think, is my name really there? Is this really going to happen? Am I going to be turned away or not? Thankfully, they were there. We were happy. But for a Christian, there is an amazing security in knowing that our names are written in heaven. And there's a sense of permanence to that. They're down in permanent ink. And this represents our relationship with with God through Jesus that will never change. We are adopted children. We're putting our trust in Jesus. We're adopted children of a heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and will meet all our needs no matter what happens. In all the ups and downs of life, this won't change. There's that wonderful passage you might remember at the end of Romans chapter 8 that says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so it's a cause of deep joy to know that. Not a sort of superficial joy, but deep down in our bones. And the thing is, in life, I keep seeking joy in things that are temporary. Uh, in family, in ministry, in sport, in nature, all great things, all things to find joy in, all gifts of God which we can enjoy. But the truth is they're also temporary. They come and they go. They have their ups and they have their downs. Again, life is a roller coaster. But Jesus is saying, and just pointing his disciples to a source of joy that is deeper, that is permanent that can survive all those ups and downs of life. Someone put it like this, the promise of heaven has no peaks and valleys and the joy of belonging to the Lord knows no seasons. That is a remarkable promise, a wonderful source of joy. That's where Jesus 
points his disciples, he points us too to find our joy. That's the first point. Where do we find, where's the best place for us to find joy? The second is this, where does Jesus find joy? And this is something that's surprised. Actually, the Bible doesn't speak that much about Jesus' joy. And here's one of the best places to go for it. Verse 21, have a look at verse 21. We read this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Uh, Here is Jesus, full of joy. Why is he full of joy? Well, he just loves the way that God has done it. He just loves the way that God has uh, brought about salvation, of how God has shown the way of salvation, not, as it were, to people who are simply clever and learned and the gurus, the wise and the learned here, but actually, he says, to, to little children, to little children. I mean, that's not especially flattering of us, is it? But it's actually wonderful. Could you imagine if the only people who could come to know Jesus were people with PhDs or with the right connections or those in the right positions or the especially gifted and talented? All those things are wonderful and we praise God for people with those things, but that would narrow the field somewhat. But that is not how God does it. He reveals himself to us, not on the basis of our CV, but on the basis of his choice. It's a free gift. Again, verse 22 looks at that. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, we come to know God through Jesus, and it's a pure act of grace. He shows himself to us. And God is doing this all the time. He's constantly choosing those, actually in the world's eyes, who are not necessarily particularly impressive. Uh, One of the books I read over the summer was uh, this one, Colin Hansen, Timothy Keller. It's a brilliant biography of uh, Tim Keller, um, who uh, many of you will know was an author and pastor uh, of Redeemer Church, New York, and uh, a wonderful man of God, uh, someone who God used greatly, who uh, died uh, early in the summer, in May uh, 2023. And uh, some things really struck me about it. I mean, he, he's, he's someone who's been a giant of Christian, evangelical Christianity across the Western world uh, over the last couple of decades. In so many ways, hugely impressive. But what I love reading about, and what's brilliantly brought out in this biography, is that no one saw this in him as he was growing up. Even when he was at seminary, uh, there was no one who really came alongside and said, Tim Keller, you're going to be the next big thing, and I'll come aside and mentor him. No one really mentored him. Someone did eventually. But he wasn't one of the sort of people who particularly stood out. Uh, He was very bright, yes, but he was actually really quite socially awkward. I love the fact that in his uh, biography. He must have submitted some photos, and one of the photos he submitted with his fellow people in seminary, I think we've got it coming up as well, 
Um, uh, there you go. He, he's top in the middle. And I love that he's got his eyes closed. He's got his eyes closed. Isn't that just brilliant? You put in a photo of yourself with your eyes closed. And no, no one would have thought there's an incredibly impressive person. Uh, he was socially awkward. Uh, his preaching class, do you know what grade he got in his preaching class? He got a C in his preaching class. Not one of the greatest preachers. Um, but at that stage, you know, he got a C. Um, and uh, when he came out of seminary, he tried to find a position in a church, and uh, he couldn't get one. He couldn't get one. In fact, he started applying for a job in the postal service, I think, um, because there was no church wanting to have Tim Keller come, and eventually uh, he found one, and uh, one church, um, Hope Church, uh, sort of reluctantly sort of took him on. Isn't that strangely encouraging to hear about? And yet God had other plans for him. Uh, he wasn't in many ways impressive in the world's eyes, nor even in the church's eyes. And yet, few people have been so greatly used as Tim Keller uh, in our generation. And that's what Jesus does. He takes great joy in this sort of thing, in his grace being poured out in ways that actually subvert the world's pecking order. He delights to reveal himself to us so that we learn and know about him through his gospel. Uh, verse 23, uh, have a look at that. Uh, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Uh, far greater people, they would have loved to have seen what these disciples, normal people, little children as Jesus talks, uh, talks with them, people a bit like you and me, who Jesus has been delighted to reveal himself to and takes great joy in that. What a privilege that is for us to see these things, to, to know Jesus. There are things that kings and prophets of old would have longed to have seen that in our day and age we do see written here in the pages of Scripture. Now what a privilege. And it's also humbling. It's humbling to know this. It's not because we're especially special or wise, but just because Jesus has shown himself to us. And therefore, for us, as we think about this on our Vision Sunday, and as we think about our longing to see every life following Jesus, it's a reminder that this uh, invitation is not just for the select few, but it's one, because it's by grace alone, it's one for everyone. It's one to share with everyone. So, um, I think some wonderfully encouraging words from this, this chapter of Jesus. Uh, there is great joy in knowing that our names are written in heaven. There is great joy in the way in which God brings about salvation through revealing himself 
to us, not because of anything we've done, but because of all that he has done. And uh, we're going to remind ourselves together of that now as we're going to share bread and wine, uh, which will take us right to the heart of the message of Jesus, of his death and of his resurrection, uh, the way that he came to die in our place, that our sins can be forgiven, that he rose again to new life and that we can know that new life in him. Thank you.